In a world of EMS podcasters, EMS Office Hours is the only live podcast bringing you the latest topics and opinions in EMS. Turn down your scanner and turn up your speakers as we join Jim Hoffman and Josh Knapp on their latest EMS podcasting journey. Hey, uh, welcome to EMS Other Hours. This is uh, Jim Hoffman. I'm going to try to get uh, Josh and uh, special guest Dave uh, Brennan here with us. Let's see here. Josh, you there? Hello. Hey, Josh. Hey, man. What happened? I'm having some Skype issues. Uh, I was watching the show start 10 seconds. I know. But you're crazy. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna try to get. Yeah. I'm gonna try to get Dave in here. Oh yeah, I was just talking to Dave, so he's busy. All right. Um, and of course, mention that this episode is sponsored by EMS Manager. Um, go check them out at emsmanager.net and get a free trial of their innovative and easy to use employee scheduling and management software. Um, I'm gonna get Dave in here, um, and hopefully. I'm not sure what was going on with my Skype. Dave, you with us? I still don't. Hey, I'm here. All right, Dave. Hey, Kim, how are you? All right. Um, having some Skype issue. I'm at, I'm at a hotel. I'm in a hotel, so I think um, Ooh. it could be the the connection. But I don't know. I'm not. Um, yeah. going on? I'm listening to live audio right now, Jim, and Dave, like you. It's very, very low or non-existent. Let me see if I can fix it. Yeah, it's very muffled. I'm listening to it now. But you sound a little muffled. Very muffled. I sound very muffled? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Dave sounds okay. Dave, how I sound to you, all right? Yeah, you sound okay. A little a little distant, but... Uh... I'll bring my mic a little closer. So I can get my velvety voice sent to the... Yeah, that sounds so much better now. How do I sound? A little bit better. A little bit better. Anyway, we can do our sound checks. I'm sure everybody listening loves to hear our sound checks. Damn it, they should. They're listening to us. Yeah, I know. Um, so, well, um, guys, thanks for, for, for popping in. I appreciate it. Um... I'm going to try to get a chat window open as well. Well, I shouldn't have too much going on. All right. How do I sound now? Yeah, you sound much better. much better. All right, great. Yeah, that's much better. So um, hopefully, I don't know if it was Skype or Block Talk Radio giving me an issue. I don't know. But um, it's the magic of the Internet. Of course. Of course. It's like, you know, all the guys who are walking around with their tough books, and I know, you know, some people out there are listening and say, tough books. Ah, we're not going to do that. And other people are saying, "Ah, oh, just the paper." And other people are saying, oh, "I love my tough book." Yeah. But uh, you know, I was like doing this job with a, another unit, and I tried to get the number, and they couldn't get a Wi-Fi connection. And uh-huh. we were extended now. You know, thoughts comes, and it's like, "What's the deal?" And it's like, "We can't leave. We are. We're not done with this job until we can sign in." And they can't sign in. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it kind of. I, I've had that experience too, where you're not really, um, they haven't really perfected that just yet, you know. Um, 
where if you lose if you lose connection with the ambulance or something, like a lot of places have issues with you using the hospital's Wi-Fi and stuff because they're afraid of security issues and um, you know patient information getting picked up by somebody sitting in the parking lot of the hospital trying to hack into the hospital service to get the guy you just brought in his particular information. They want to get grandma's um, social security number and go on a spending spree. Uh, yeah, hospital. So because that's what we're all going to do, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, well, tonight um, I want to just talk a little bit. I think, guys. Um, you know, last week we talked a little bit about uh, EMS and it being a hobby and all, and, and I thought maybe sort of along the same lines, but when we talk about the responsibilities that we have, that, that to me over the years have seems to be the lines are getting kind of blurred a little bit, I think, where you've got where they're trying to get EMTs to do ALS skills and firefighters doing certain things. And now even, Josh, you had mentioned uh, during our uh, sort of teaser episode about how now in New York City, the cops are trying to be carrying Narcan mm-hmm. to give uh, to patients as well. And, I mean, you can take the line, I think, with a lot of this and say, well, it's in the best interest of, of patient care to be able to do these things um, and things like, you know, to, to be able to provide this additional treatment, um, you know, to, to patients and all. But I, I wonder, though, you know, without really understanding these drugs and these procedures thoroughly, you know, that maybe it's not in the best interest of patient care, you know, that it's just more of an interest of of, um, sort of spreading uh, thinner um, and making it, you know, making that perception that anybody could do EMS. You know, and that it, it by giving some of these responsibilities to be less providers to cops and firefighters and things like that, that it, it sort of um, lessens that requirement for them to put paramedics on an ambulance. You know, it saves them money. Oh, uh, I, I definitely have an opinion of that. Um, I was, I didn't even want to kick it off. I wanted to hear Dave's opinion first off. Why are you oh. keep, you did that last week too. You always throw Dave under the bus. <laughs> ah, <laughs> if I throw you under the bus, it's okay. I have an opinion. Yeah, I you know <laughs> that. I know you do. And, uh, uh, well, you know, let, let me back up then. The thing, scares me, the thing that scares me about you, Dave, is that I I I honestly feel that yours is a more educated opinion than mine. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think well, opinions, opinions, you know, are, uh, are like some anatomical parts. Everybody has one. <laughs> right. You, you would give us the details. Jim would wait. Oh, one day. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> let, let me go back a ways because that's one of the things I can do that's really good is I can go back a ways in the EMS. And I, I remember as, as an ALS provider providing you know, sub-QEPI or INFI, you know, even sub-QEPI for anaphylaxis, and the EMTs couldn't do that. And they were taught, and as I was taught back in 1978, that I can assist a person with their EpiPen. So a lay person can have an EpiPen, an EMT can assist, and, I mean, and, and it was nonsense what they were talking about. We didn't even have a good definition of assist. 
You know, what would you do if the person was unconscious? They told you to hold them in their hand and drop their hand on them. Nonsense. Nonsense. <laughs> right? But then, you know, you've heard that, right? Yes. That was, okay. that was always the question that came up. Yeah. Right. Right. Have them fall into it. But I'm going to tell you how EMTs, or at least my perception of how EMTs got epi. And epi is an ALS skill, just the way AED, the AED you know, defibrillation was an ALS skill that needed to be spread to everybody, including laypersons. So um, back, I don't remember from the early 90s or the late 80s, um, some, some child somewhere in New York State, and it was horrible. I, I've heard the same thing, by the way. Dying of anaphylaxis, and uh, they passed a law in New York State that a camp counselor <coughs> could administer an EpiPen. And uh, they did not include EMPs. And we joked, and actually joked and told the state, you know, so if, if an EMP is based with a person who's got anaphylaxis, they can mutually the camp counselor. <laughs> right. And that sounded ridiculous, and as ridiculous as it sounded, I think it moved us in the right direction. Um, you know, some things are just so important that if you don't do them, people die. Uh, I, uh, are EpiPens wrong for other people to do? Uh, I don't think so. How about glucagon? Is that wrong for other people to do? I don't think so. What about people chopping on aspirin when they have chest pain? Sounds like the right thing to do. Is it wrong? Would it be wrong for a police officer who shows up first to say to a person they have chest pain? Are you allergic to aspirin? No. Maybe you should chew an aspirin. So now, what about, what about uh, nitro? Well, nitro is different. Uh, what were we taught as EMTs, though? If, you, if the person has nitro, we can assist them taking nitro. Now, as I well know from a class that was taught by somebody we all know who might be on the show, that in some cases, and we've discussed this too at, uh, on this show, nitro is not a benign drug. It can some cases, it can really screw up, the, screw the pooch. Yes, but, but the patient themselves, not necessarily a medical professional, is self-administering nitro for chest pain because their doctor told them to. We are not, EMTs are not administering nitro. They're just facilitating the patient to take their own nitro without an EKG, without anything other than the fact that the person is predisposed to a condition, to a condition that gets better with nitro. Um, and, and here's the thing. With, with nitro, as an example, we are still limited. We can't, do, we can't assist the patient an unlimited number of times in taking nitro. We can just help them do what their doctor told them to do. Yeah, but the thing is, it's just like with the EpiPen, though, if the patient has prescribed it, they can take as many as they want before you get there. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I, I, and it might not even be for chest pain. You know, you, I mean, how many times have you gone to patients' houses and they have a total, you know, they're having some totally unrelated pain or discomfort or whatever, and then you see a natural bottle sitting up on top and you're like, did you take these? Oh, yeah, I took those. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and you know what? This is, a, this is a fair discussion to have to say, you know, if it's been prescribed by a doctor, even though, you know, tests that can be done by advanced care in the field could determine that nitro is a detriment and not, not a help in the situation, under the situation where you don't know and it's prescribed by a doctor, you know, there's no, there's no problem in assisting the patient with taking their own medicine. But 
and but let me take that one step further. As this screen sort of widens, and we say, okay, well, aspirin, nitro, epi, they seem to be things that that do well and uh, aid the patient in the field. Now we're we're spreading it a little bit farther, like Narcan. Yeah, Narcan has less of a downside than nitro does. Yeah, not, not not to somebody who's a heavy duty addict and has uh, been uh, in a constant state of uh, some sort of uh, you know uh, high for uh, how many months, how many years. You give nitro nitro uh, Narcan to somebody like that, then you could put them right into uh, withdrawals. Well, who are yeah, we, we giving it to? We're giving it to people that are that are at not, yeah, they're not breathing. That's rather than have a you know, rather than be vomiting and 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 you know, well, drove and then uh, uh, not breathing. Actually, and far from me to be a stickler on protocols because I'm about the last person to be a stickler on those things. But the protocol is for if you're an altered mental status. And the school and the and the net is pretty wide for what an alter. Uh, no, that's off Yeah, but I think it's, you're right. It's, it's going to it's going to be different for the police or whoever they. I mean, they're even giving knock-in now to people who are addicts that, um, you know, to give it to their friends if they're, you know. Right, because what's I've the downside? The downside of them not breathing versus running into uh, running into withdrawal uh, symptoms is certainly there's more of a downside to not uh, not breathing. I didn't and think that's the thinking. I mean, in this particular thing, I did not see any, any protocols um, as far as what the dosage was. I mean, I don't know if even if the dosage of the, the, the probably a pre-filled, it'll probably be some sort of pre-filled intranasal. Right, and I, I don't enough. think it's going to be. It, it might, it might even be the dosages that are that are that we're giving now. Mm-hmm. You know, the instead of where it used to be, you give the, the you know two milligrams up front. Um, you know, now it's more that titrate type thing until you get a response, and it might be a much lower dosage that they're giving mm-hmm. just to get the patient. Breathing again, not, sure. not even necessarily wake them up or whatever. It might it might be the type of dosage where it's just enough to get them breathing again on their own without having to, you know, uh, without them going to arrest. So let me get you guys both to this because I know that you're I know the direction you're both coming from, and and if you you know follow the way sort of the if you follow the way the law was intended, if we can use that language. Um, it really doesn't have a downside. It's a, it's pretty much it's a fairly benign drug. We we know it's fairly benign in the majority of situations. It's used. It's going to be a benefit to the person. And you know it, it's always better if a person, even if they're out of it, are still breathing, even if they're going to be brought to the hospital. Um, but let me put a twist on this because when I've had this conversation with others, everybody looks at me, they sort of tilt their head sideways, you know, when your dog hears some noise that you're not familiar with, they look at you, and they go, oh, yeah. And I, my only point is what happens when people start, when the people who are being given this um, start to understand the ramifications of what it can do and say, hey, what if I use this to destroy this perp's $50 hot 
and start using it as not not what it was intended to as a rescue device, but as a way of uh, teaching a lesson or or some form of punishment. I'm going to ruin your high, Jeffy. How would you do that? You would sneak it into their nose while they were while they were just high and not not passed out. Uh, I don't think a cop needs to sneak anything. Uh, oh 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 oh! You're suggesting a malicious act by a uh, by a person. Never ever uh, right, which is never at work, Dave. Right? Well, you, you never have to worry about about do such a thing. Never, well, never, never. Or, or but at least there, at least if a paramedic, you know, and, and here's the only backup that I have to that argument, because that was something else. They said, well, you know, I mean, cops can't be trusted with it, but I mean, what about paramedics? Paramedics at least have the way to deal with the seizures. They're squirting it up the nose of the person who they're talking to. Is that what you think they're going to do? You know, they're having a conversation with somebody? Oh, they don't have, what if they just hold it down and squirt it up his nose? What if they say I, I have to give it to you? I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening. You don't see it as a... No. As a, First of all, I'm going to tell you right now, all this stuff we're talking about, the aspirin, the nitro, the albuterol, the EpiPen, the Narcan, and even to a point the AEDs, um, and the you know, 20-something years that I've been doing this, um, any time that an EMT or a cop or whatever have had the opportunity to use these deep interventions, they delay using it until as long as possible until the medic gets there. Huh. I've, I've gone to chest pain call where EMTs were, were able to give metroglycerin or aspirin before I got there. They call for medics, and it's like an 8 to 10 minute response to get to the scene, you get there, and you walk in the door, and they are poised over the patient's mouth, just getting ready to put the nitroglycerin in the, under their tongue. And you're like, well, what'd you give them so far? Oh, I was just going to give it, you know. Um, or the difficulty breather that, you know, they, they're going to give the albuterol because it's been with that protocol, and you get there, and they're still fumbling around with the, with the nebulizer. You know, yeah, I mean, one is, yeah, well, and I, mean, cops, I, I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, cops do not want to do this any more than firefighters, you know, want to do what they, you know, uh, do medical calls, okay? Um, I've been, you know, in many cardiac arrests where the cops are in the house and defib is out in the car, okay? That's, that's true, you know. They're not dealing with something that, you know, creates a, um, a degree of animosity. And I think that in certain instances, especially with um, some guys who have been there enough, that certain, um, that certain frequent flyers that they have... I, don't, I, don't, I disagree, Josh, because honestly, I mean, it, how many times do you get uh, paramedics that have frequent flyers and EMTs that get frequent flyers, and we're not abusing these patients. We get agitated. We get no, but you've heard story, wait a second. You've never heard of the story of, of abuse from EMS? It's a, but it's, to me, it's a rare story. It, it, That's true. I, 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 I don't, and I think that this, when you hear a story like that, it's because the provider is, is over the edge. So you, know, you and, give... But you're talking about a police officer who, who probably isn't going to be getting the same patient over and over and over and over again um, in that situation over and over and over again where they're going to feel that frustrated 
people are they going to be pushed to that level of of distribution? Oh, on any of the blogs, and police already feel pushed to that level. They they already feel that the odds are stacked against in most cases, and that there's a lack of you know a lot of the threads that we talk about here. And I'm not sitting here making this a cop show, but, you know, from my friends who are officers and from what I've seen on the blog, there is that, that feeling of lack of... Well, I think, uh, every, I, think all, I think fire and police, I think all of us have a certain level of frustration with the so public. So if you're given a tool... But on a call, you're going to be professional. You can bitch to each other like you do here, but on, on an assignment or on a call, you're not going to... But if you're given a tool and you're saying this has two, this has a benefit to it, this is a tool that has a benefit to it, but it also has the, uh, the side effect of knocking out their high, of ruining their high, okay? Because I've definitely seen cops on, on bus where, you know, they, they pull out the, uh, 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 a dime bag or a, a, a whatever the size bags of, uh, you know, whatever, uh, you know, whether it be crack or, or heroin or whatnot. And they say, well, you're not, I guess I, I guess you spent this money for nothing. You know, I mean, there, there is that, that sort of, you know, I told you so attitude that happens in these situations, you don't think that that I don't think it's a real big stretch to yes. say, you know, school you junkie, I'm going to get rid of your high. Yes, I do. First of all, I don't want to put in somebody's nose. It's messy. I don't put. I don't want to put in some some overdoses nose if I don't have to because it's it's messy. You know, the, the, the cop is not going to be doing it. You can't get me. You can't. You can barely get them to help with CPR. Oh, yeah, you know, but it has I, a different meaning to it. I, I just have to say something here, you know, um, and I, I recognize I live and work in a different area, and, and it's a whole other world out here in Suffolk County. First of all, every police officer became an EMP when they went through the academy. All right, so they are running into houses with AEDs, and that's a good thing because they're on the road. All day, all night. With your and that's the, but that's the plan. That's that's the way the system's supposed to work. They're supposed to be able to to get there. And I, and I guess every like you, like you said, different areas are different. But I mean, my experience, and I, I have seen cops bring the ADs. In. I'm not saying none of them do it, um, but I think that they take a calculated risk in knowing uh, how far away the ambulance is, whether or not they engage. So let me ask you guys: You've never gone to a job where the person was in custody and uh, you had to attend to some injury the person had. Sure. And even more so that you've never gone to it and the, and the injury was, quote-unquote, either self-inflicted or, or, or received during resisting arrest. Sure. It's happened. Okay. So how is it such a great stretch and I'm not saying that those, every one of those sit there and turn around and say, you know what, the cop used in every single instance a balanced and measured response to what the perp was doing. I think we've all seen, you know, an arrest go down in the field, and it's not always a, a gentle uh, scenario. Even when the guy is not, you know, even when the guy is not resisting arrest, it's not always gentle. Mm. 
So all I'm saying, and I'm not saying that cops are bad here, and by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just saying that if they were handed a tool that they thought was not going to harm anybody, and all it was going to do was stop some illicit activity, and you got to understand that you know when a person is high, they're looked at as breaking the law. So you know all the cop is doing is theoretically and chemically yeah, and, and, the law. But Josh, at the same time, how many times have you had an overdose? You bring them back. They never. They rarely do they get arrested. They get taken to the hospital. They never got arrested. All right. So what are you talking about? So uh, all I'm saying is that you know you have a guy who's arrested, he's high. And the cop says, I'm going to get rid of your, you know, I have this tool now. Yeah, I have to know what type of drug he took, which, what the drug is doing, and that, that the knocking is going to yeah. have an effect. Look, you know, I think, Josh, Josh, it may, it may come down to that one day that somebody does that because there's an endurant, uh officer in the field. I mean, and, but just keep in mind that medics, doctors, nurses, they exist. Nurse Ratchet from uh, Cuckoo's Nest. Right. Just created more habits than they. Now, there are people like that who just simply push button. First of all, Narcan's only going only gonna to work for 20 minutes so he'll be back high again. Um, but, but also keep in mind that people overdose on opioids who are not drug addicts. They are they're on home. You know, they're, they're not out on the street scoring heroin. They are. They are overdosing on the hydrocodone, the oxycodone, the, the, the fentanyl patches, and whatever else they have on. Right. And, uh, and, and they could use this drug. And they could, there's, there's, a, there's an accidental overdose, and they need that drug. They need to have those receptors blocked. And, yep. you know, you're 100% right that, that, that this is a useful thing and that wide distribution of it might turn around and save some lives, but then we turn around and say, well, then what's the role of EMS? I mean, are, are all of these things, at what point, you know, at what point do we stop? I mean, there, there, are, still, there, are, there are places now that, are, that are have to have EMTs uh, putting in king tubes, you know, <laughs> as, as part of their um, skill set. Right, and if you follow the boards, and I've always been a proponent of that, and you follow the boards, the medics go berserk. Uh, you know, and then they talk, and we talked about it on the show, about them taking away the, uh, even the ability for a medic to intubate because team tubes are so effective. But here's my, my thing, and the, my, my initial thing for the show today was talking about that, and and I understand that the benefits of the, the patient care aspect of it, but I have to sort of go back to this this thought process that I'm, I guess I'm having here is is if they are giving all these skills um, to EMTs and first responders and police and firefighters and and like you said, Dave, even camp counselors, you know, at what point? Do you need e even need EMS anymore? Do you even need paramedics anymore? Because now it, 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 this is what I think is the type of thing that you're sort of sort of diluting what the paramedic is, is there for. And it's and to me it's being diluted because it's more of of cost. You know, instead of putting more paramedics out there, we'll just give the key thing that the paramedic does to other people 
that are for the more critical patients, we'll figure a way to sort of give those key elements of care to other entities and not have to hire a paramedic that makes, you know, thirty six, forty thousand dollars a year. And we'll give it we'll just add it to the police officers um skill set. We'll have EMTs do it. So and so Jim, are you upset with Boy Scouts learning how to splint arms and legs, taking a first aid class? Yes. They're upset with that. Uh, they have no business doing that. <laughs> right? I'm not lifeguards. I'm not I'm not so sure that's a good example, Dave. I'm just honestly. asking. You know, you're, you're talking about first aid, but this is this is part. I'm of not the, against. I'm not against the first aid aspect of it. You know, um, <clears throat> with, with any of it, I'm not even against the ED part of it either. Um, you know, I just think, uh, to me, I think that that uh, over over time, I just keep seeing more and more of this sort of diluting uh, uh, the skills and that the, the lines getting blurred with the who's doing what. And then I think in addition to, um, I guess, you know, or, or the perception of, of paramedics not being what they were intended to be for, is now you've got sort of this perception that to the public, they don't know who the hell can do what and why. Now it's like, oh, the cop can do that now? All right. Oh, oh, the yeah. I mean, how many oh, times? Oh, the can do that now? Look, how many times do you turn around to see in the newspaper a cop, a cop uh, delivered to a baby in a car? Gross. <laughs> Personally, right. you say, what a freaking mess. <laughs> and he'll never do that again. I don't, do, I don't want to do it in the back of the ambulance. <laughs> but... You know, and and to be honest with you, I was uh, I was told by a OBGYN that they can't stand when um, you know they understand that babies get delivered wherever babies get delivered. You don't always get the, the choice, but um, you know, a, the back of an ambulance is a dirty, dirty place. You know, it's not that's why a, a lot of places and everything like that's that. Why, well, that's why a lot of places consider any out of hospital birth to be. AOS, whether it's, you know, um, breach or not breach or whatever. Because there's also a greater understanding of the parameters that have to be set around around that. Even if everything is as smooth as normal, right. you want to do certain things in a certain way. And that's well, all because a hospital birth is not normal. It's kind of normal. Listen, I am, I am sure that, you know, 99 times out of 100, if you give cops Narcan, they would only use it in the case of last resort. Well, that's what I was saying before. But, I think yeah. even with, with, with the birth, it, it's like and that is the exception to the rule. And I think that that is going to go pretty much for all of this that we're talking about. And I think that goes for all of it, even at the EMT level, of them doing things like the nitro and the aspirin and the, you know, albuterol and epipads and things like that. I think most of the time they will use it as a last resort. They will wait for the paramedics to get there. But in the meantime, that perception of what's going on and the numbers games that people play um, for financial reasons, for response reasons, and budgetary, you know, all that stuff plays into it, okay? And then you take a step back and you're okay, well, you know, we don't really need that many paramedics anymore. We don't really need to hire anymore. We can actually cut back and just put EMTs out there, you know? And then, you know, it, to me, it just, it's more and more and more of this going on, and then we're not advancing. We're, we're taking away. I'm not afraid of it. Well, because you're in the city, you're a big shot. No, no, I'm not afraid of it. 
and I'll, and I'll tell you why. Um, I can do I, every day. Every every year that goes by, there's more added to what I do. I mean, that's part of it. I think that's definitely part of it. But the the other side is, and even though I still do believe this idea that if you don't educate, if you give somebody a tool and educate them enough just to use the tool, but not all the parameters around that tool, that you open up the doors for abuse of that tool. So I will stick by my word that I believe that Narcan in the long setting will and can be and will be abused. But let's let's step back from that argument and just look at the whole idea of everybody being taught search aid, everybody having an AD, you know, and, and bringing these first, you know, life-saving measures into the field to... Well, it makes you laugh. Even with that, Joe, it makes you laugh at that. And then you get people who, um, you know, do, you're not, you know, as a medic, you can't carry things in your car. You know, you're not allowed to carry. You know, you've got the training and you have all the stuff, but a lot of, you know, you're not allowed to carry a lot of AOS equipment in your vehicle, you know. But, yeah, it's good education if you do have it. Right? Well, but first. really where I was thinking, Jim, is, where, you know, where you're saying, hey, you know, we're diluting EMS in the field, I think that this becomes the argument in the light that we need to strengthen our relationship with the definitive care side of patient care. You know, we do the emergent care, we hand it off to a triage nurse, and from then on goes definitive care. And I really think that we need to be closer to that link. So we're documenting what went on, we're taking the patient history, we're making some you know, um, a first uh, glance. Uh, um, uh, I, mean, I, think, I think that's, that's part yeah. of it too, Josh. Is, is Documenting you, the treatment. Even that, I mean, if you have a cop or whatever, doing some sort of treatment before you get there, and then you get there, and the cop tells you what, what they think they saw or what they did see, they don't know the patient care aspect of what, what it is that they're looking at. And now you have to go to the hospital and try to describe what this what the police officer said was going on, you know. Right. You, you know. And I think that part of the picture is discounted. I think our role in that picture is is very much not uh, giving is giving short shrift. What was that word? Yeah. What was that word? Short shrift. Yeah, a little bit. Well, you try to give me a headache with big words. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you know what? We try to raise the low. We try to raise the bar in this show. Don't do it today. So we got Walking Dead coming on tonight. We can't. Oh yeah, I forgot. I have something to look forward to. Awesome. We can't be using big words. Listen, guys. Uh, let me um, let's take a minute or two minute break here. I just want to go ahead and and, uh, and talk about the sponsor, uh, EMS Manager here for. Uh, two minutes and 16 seconds, actually. So let's just take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about this and um, go back and forth and bigger some more. Hang on. This episode of EMS Office Hours is sponsored by EMS Manager. They've consistently been helping EMS agencies save time and energy with their innovative web-based software for staff scheduling and management. There's a mobile web app accessible from smartphones and other mobile devices with an easy-to-use web interface viewable from anywhere on the Internet. You can check your own schedule, and managers and staff can oversee, manage, and make changes to employee schedules from anywhere. Captain Chris Eaton from Springfield Township Fire Department 
Springfield, Ohio, says EMS Manager has cut our scheduling time nearly in half. It's allowed our trades to be monitored more efficiently and cut down the headache of scheduling dramatically. Nate and the entire staff have been prompt in answering our questions and correcting any problems that have arisen. Great system. It's affordable, too. Pricing for EMS Manager is based on the size of your organization and because it's web-based, your employee schedule and software is located in the cloud, meaning there are no local additional IT costs to worry about. And there's always free training, free tech support, and free system software updates. If you want this for your system, check out the free customizable trial of EMS Manager at emsmanager.net. I want to thank EMS Manager for sponsoring EMS Office Hours and other shows from the ProMed Network. EMS Manager is proud to support EMS providers and managers through the sponsorship and the support of what we do. Show your support for them. Take a few minutes and sign up for the free trial at emsmanager.net. Show them that you appreciate their support by trying out the software. Visit emsmanager.net for Aladtech's EMS Manager for online employee scheduling and workforce management. Let them know you heard it here on EMS Office Hours. This is Paramedic Elias Redding from California, and you're listening to the EMS Office Hours podcast. All right. Listen, um, I just lost something. Yeah, I hear there. you now. You came in and in out. Yeah, I got a little pull up there somewhere. All right. All right, well, um, I'm out damaged today. Yeah. yeah. We were so much better with carrier pigeons. So, I mean, I, I don't know, guys. Like I said, I, you'll get people, you'll, you will get people who will, you know, um, beat their chairs that it's all about patient care and what's good for the patient, that it shouldn't matter about anything else. And you will get EMTs out there and firefighters and whatever who will swear up and down that, you know, they've used this, they've done this, I've helped the patient do this, I've done this with that, I want more responsibility. We'd still be intubating with glass tubes, wouldn't we? What? We'd still be doing intubations with glass tubes, wouldn't we? They're talking about. If it was all about you know, what, what we perceived in the field at the time is the best. You know, we don't like change. We, we, are, we are an industry that as much as we need to embrace change, I was very scared of change. I just feel that, that some of these things that they're doing and it's just these expanding roles and, 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 like I said, sort of this blurring of the skills and stuff, you know, we're doing this in conjunction with without sort of um, solidifying the, the other stuff that we have to do, you know, um, not making it the, 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 the outline, I guess, of the profession that, that we should be. And before we even get to that, we're already trying to, you know, break it up and, and you know, kind of give everybody a little bit of everything. I I don't understand that. I don't understand what you're. Well, I mean, I, what I'm trying to say is that we're instead of focusing on doing some things that we can do to advance ourselves as a profession, we're 
we're we're diluting it. We're we're changing things around um, to where it's not clear as to what. But we're not doing it. That's that's the that's the thing is that we have the sort of our 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 public agencies saying, you know what, this would be a a, a good idea. I mean, is it is there so much opiate overdose now in the field that we feel the need to give uh, officers Narcan. Well, I guess in some areas it, it, it's hotter than others. I mean, I've actually worked in different areas where some places I worked it was had a lot of overdoses, and I worked in another area where it's a lot of CHF patients, and you know, it, it, and in other places we get a lot of trauma, you know, type type calls. Um, but you know, so I guess in some agencies, in some areas, that's why they to do it, you know. Um, but again, I just you know I'm more along the lines of, of of this perception that that by doing this, continuing to do this, and giving other people stuff that we do, we are sort of messing up. We are we are giving the perception that anybody could do our job. And I think what Dave mentioned earlier about doing something new all the time, and I agree with that. Yeah, we're doing more stuff, oh, more and more. You know, we're getting more advanced drugs, and and we're doing other, you know, CPAP and, and and things like that, where we are advancing those aspects of it. But how long until that starts getting, you know, Jim? Well, Jim, we keep waiting for the next thing to happen to us or the next thing that we have to go somewhere else. You know what? If we sit around and wait, things will happen to us or will go away from us. And if we if we do not take command of this of this field and, and we don't become the captain of our destiny, we will watch things happen. Well, that's what I'm trying to say, though, Dave. It's, it's like we're not we're not controlling destiny because it, we're not we're not getting control of any of this. You know, to me, it, it, you know, instead of instead of giving cops Narcan, it should be no. We're going to put more paramedics out there. We're going to put more EMTs, more ambulances out there. You know, um, to handle this, this additional call volume that apparently whatever they have, you know, to, to, in these areas, to address the that that you know higher call volume of, of overdoses. Um, I don't think I'd buy that. Because we still have to transport them. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Wait a second. You know, uh, along the logic of that, these are necessary. Um, I won't even call them evils. You know, necessary steps in order to protect the public, because where you know these overdoses can happen. Um, a difference in minutes can make a difference in these cases, and so you have somebody who's an unconscious overdose and they get maple Narcan, and in the couple of percentage points that it works, it saves a life. I'll, I'll die all of that, okay? Now, why don't we give cops a butyrol in high asthma areas? Because some of the highest asthma areas in the world are right here in New York City. Under, that, under that logic. Albuterol has a downside. To a kid? To, to people, yeah. Well, not when used in the right setting, but when used in the wrong setting, it does have a downside. Yeah. Yeah, but if you get a call an ambulance anyway, yeah, no, I, and I definitely know that. I've seen albuterol. I've seen, 
you know, where somebody had difficulty breathing, they were having an MI, and or they, had, so they started to have some heart, you know, some uh, 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 acute cardiac issues, uh, and somebody gave them their rescue inhaler because it worked for them, and it throws those, throw them into a full-blown MI. I've, I've definitely had calls like that. What I'm talking about is, again, let's put it in responsible hands in a high-demand neighborhood or in a high-demand area, you know, with, with certain parameters. You know, say anybody 12 years and under. So the cops go and they have a little tank of O2 and they have a little nebulizer and the little kid has asthma, what's the problem? What's the problem? Yeah. yeah. I mean, wouldn't it save some lives? Don't they jump early? So, maybe you're right. Maybe we should do this. I, I because I, uh, the reason I say it, Dave, is not is not a way. I'm to, talking my feet here about giving them less, and you're giving your your suggestion. I'll be all now. Exactly. Because I, I'm, you know, go ahead. I'd like to be able to take a temperature just to let you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, when I was six years old, I was taking my own Which way? Anyway, anyway, when I was six years old, I took my own temperature, whichever way it needed to be taken. Um, yeah. You know, um, that's probably that is something that that the that's a great answer. Let me start with that. We can yell and scream about everything else. Why aren't we yelling and screaming about temperatures? Temperatures are important. They're important. They're especially important as we begin to deal with sepsis as as this decade's uh, stroke and MI and the things that, you know, yeah. in the background. This is we a, even have a sepsis protocol. Indeed. And why aren't we allowed to take temperatures? And more importantly, why aren't we doing something about that? In my, in my, my, in my jurisdiction, a firefighter walks out of a house holding a three-year-old who's unconscious and overcome from heat and smoke, and I can take the firefighter's temperature, but not the three-year-olds, because we have it in our rehab protocol that I can take temperatures of firefighters. Don't ask me which way. Right. Why aren't we appalled by this? I am appalled by it. And this is something, you know, if we don't take this, this Jay, is a very I am sitting down. Are you sitting down? Because I, I know that your head is going to explode. Go for it. You're not a nurse. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. That was good. However, I am appalled <laughs> that we can't take temperatures. Absolutely. I could, I could put a needle in bones in their chest, in their neck. Uh, you know, I, I you can't can give them drugs that will start their heart and stop it. Stop them from breathing. I can RSI and I mean, we can do all sorts of great stuff. I'm sorry, a temperature is beyond your scope. It is. It's outside of our, no, but my point is, why aren't we fighting about this? This is something we should be fighting about. This is important to my profession. Why, why, why aren't we doing this? Why I, 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 wonder, I wonder how often that, that ever gets brought up during like protocol um, I, I bring it up oh. every time they rewrite a curriculum. But why, and what, do they ever give you a reason as to why that they don't consider that? Is it a, there are no reasons for anything, I have to tell you. Well, I wonder though, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you have to start wondering though, I wonder if it, if it is because something like Josh said, because we're not nurses. And no. nursing, the nursing profession 
doesn't want us to have that type of stuff. It's much no. like I'm speaking about not wanting the cops and EMTs to do things that paramedics do. Nope, that's not the reason. That's not the reason. People, you know, it's a paradigm shift. We, we will always do what we've always done. We'll try and sneak some new stuff in to uh, do our protocol as new stuff emerges. But when they left out something as vital, something as a vital sign, as vital as a vital sign, as temperature, and they tell us, you know, put, the, put our hand on the forehead or put our hand on the abdomen. Yeah. Uh, that's nonsense. That's not, and, and yeah, you're, oh, they're warm. It's oh, a union thing. I'm sorry. It's not a union thing. <laughs> it's not a union thing. And why do you think that is, though, Dave? I mean, uh, you know, I I mean, I've never been in those, those types of revisions. I because we're not considered part of the real scope of patient care. We are as much as if you take a stick you don't have to and tie it to an arm really and it's first stick. aid. It's not really a blow up. I don't think it's about being. I'm sorry, it's David yeah. saying it right now. It's a it's a vital sign. It's At a vital sign. Point, huh? It's not really ignoring vital signs. You know, if you if you think outside of New York City, if a person is septic in two miles, two hours from a hospital, and and part of what we can do is you know we're going to be doing lactate. You know, great. So they're going to have something like a glucometer, and we're going to and we're going to get a blood sample, and we're going to be doing lactate levels. Uh, you know, let's put the whole thing together. Let's they make you laugh at that, though, Dave, because that, those are the, that's expensive equipment that they want to they're going to sell. Right, and the thermometer is not expensive enough, and maybe there's an economic interpretation <laughs> for this stuff, uh, you know, because once you buy the thermometer, all you need to buy is the, the, the covers for them. The right, seat. right, right. But, so, if you recall, do you recall why uh, glucometers took so long to roll out in the field for hospital-based EMS? Yes, yes, lab equipment. Exactly, exactly. It becomes a turf battle. So I am sure that thermometers are dying on the vine because they're considered in some way, shape, or form calibrated lab equipment. And God help you if you get 101.2 versus 101.3. Yeah, but we yeah. calibrate. But we calibrate the the the, the glucometers, and why can't we calibrate the? And we calibrate our defibrillators, and I, I get my stretcher calibrated and checked out so that it can hold. Yeah, it. I mean, if, if uh, anything, if anything, it just it just increases. Uh, just let me back argue that that it's not even important to calibrate a thermometer. Okay, that it's such a piece of equipment. You know, once you wrap it over the alcohol, once you run the alcohol and you hold it over the flame for a couple of seconds, you don't know if it's going to take Right, you. but then mom won't put you in school. Right. Mom will keep you home and let you I saw that episode. Okay, yes, I saw that episode. <laughs> okay. And you painted spots on your face. Right, exactly. You know, <laughs> so, you know, that, there it serves a purpose. But if you can go to any Dwayne Reed, and I remember when the electronic thermometers were 30 bucks, and now you can buy one for under five. You know, it comes out that there is no excuse why, you know, we use, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know, you know, there are pieces of equipment that we use on every single patient or most of our patients that cost far more than what a thermometer would cost. You know, but you can have... I do win, okay, but my argument isn't that we ought to be doing this. My argument is we ought to be arguing about it. We ought to be fighting for this. We ought to take control of who we are and say, what the, you know, what is going on here? We, we, need, we need to go to the state. 
again, I don't care if it needs legislation or doctors or VMAC or the local or CMAC to say, you know what? In New York State, we are crossing the line. New York State EMT and paramedics and everything in between and paramedic CCs, we are going to be allowed to take temperature. Maybe it's the fact that if we start taking temperatures, we've now completed everything they do in triage and they have to pay us more. Well, listen, again, you can you can look for whatever you want to. Here's the deal. Why I want this. I want, who do I got to talk to about this? Tell me. Why isn't anybody else asking that? I wonder if, 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 if it's just a matter of pushing for this type of stuff when, when protocol revisions are being done. We, you know, who are I think, where I think are we'd we? be more... I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step I'm, on you. I'm sorry. No, we're just saying, I might have stepped on you there. So. I think it would be more telling if we could bring the... I think I'm definitely for the argument. I definitely would love to sit in the room when somebody said, hey, you know, this should be part of our, our patient assessment as much as the blood pressure. And I'd like to drop. See, well, I'd like to see you argue today. Yes, because there is, to me, I don't think there is an argument. I don't know, can't imagine what kind of an argument they, they would it have. It hasn't gotten in the field. We, had, we actually had thermometers for a short time, and then they discontinued them. Because it wasn't in our scope of practice, which means it wasn't in the curriculum. But it's, like, but it's like anything else like that we've been talking about time even, like when you talk about camp counselors giving EpiPens and patients taking as many nitroglycerin as they want, people can take their own temperature at home. So why, you know, why, why can't we? Why, right. So why is it that we, that might, you know, part of the, of the curriculum of being trained what the temperature ranges are, what they mean, a, what... A home health aid. Like that. Yeah. A home health, a home, I'm not, and I'm not demeaning home health aid. You need home health aid. But home health aid, uh, of course it's required. And they're trained how to do it. We can take that training. I am sure I can, I can get, I can get a, a home health aide to teach us how to take a temperature in my class. Yeah. Get an expert in the field to come in and teach us how to do it. I'm, I am sure. And I, I just find it nonsensical when we don't. But I also find it upsetting that people, that I'm the only one who's upset with this. No. Uh, no, it's true, though. You know, and honestly, nurses are stunned that I can't do it. I think back when, when I did the, um, I did a, 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 a web, a web, um, a, a day-long sort of webinar thing, and, and uh, Kelly Grayson did a whole thing on sepsis, and he brought the whole the whole topic about, um, you know, the the, uh, the lactate um, readings and you know the cost about it and all that stuff, but how and about how it can help us, you know, identify sepsis and everything. And nobody asked about the temperature part of it. And now I think back, it's like there would have been a great sort of I got to just temper this argument and this conversation with the idea that we, you, the three of us, work in a fairly small area of the country. And, that, you know, the country is a big place, and there's a lot of systems out there, which is part of our problem. I mean, how fractured we are, how many different ways up sun. But I know, I know systems that, that the medics carry eye stats as part of their equipment, you right. know, so... Is that, uh, is that like an iPod, but it's... Yeah, exactly, you know, uh, yeah, it's an iPod for the blood. Oh. And, and, and it's, you know, they carry iStats, they, and those are expensive devices, 
And, they, you know, the guys in Alaska wouldn't think of, uh, you know, taking your vitals without taking your temperature. So it's not something that is, why is EMS not doing it? But why are we not doing it uniformly across the field? Why aren't we all doing it? So even if we locally fight for it and get it, you know, guys in New Jersey might not be doing it. Guys just, you know, a few miles south of uh, uh, where you work, Jim, might not be doing it. Well, that's the thing, too. Why why isn't it a part of everything we do? And that's like with anything else that goes on in the MSC. You scratch your head sometimes and how the, the, the... protocols and what can, the drugs and stuff vary from area to area and it could be just within one state from region to region or from state to state how it just changes you know consistently and that could and that's even for things like we were talking about tonight with EMT that can do certain things some places they can use they can do a cane tube other places they can't some places they can do night they can help with nitro other places they can and then and the cops give a Narcan and you know, it's like, why isn't all of this a sort of nationwide, you know, um, uh, care? If it's that important to patients and it's going to save that many lives, you know, why isn't it, you know, well, on a nationwide you know, scale? Jim, the advanced airway is an optional module in the EMP curriculum that gets to be addressed state by state and municipality, almost municipality by municipality, uh, glucometry. Your EMTs in the city are doing glucometry or not? Yes. It's, a, not it's required now. Good. And that's a... That's a oh, wait, 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 wait. EMT, I'm sorry. I just totally phrased that. You just said EMTs. Yes. No. Sorry. No. And, and other places, it, it, EMTs can deal with it if the medical director approves it and they have to go to some kind of a class. But no, you know what? Back up. You know, when you were an EMT... I certainly know when I was an EMT, and you had a diabetic. And I were never an EMT. Uh, right, I'm <laughs> sorry. You were born in I was right. I, I, I had to work. I, was born. I came out as a paramedic. I, have, I get that. I understand I'll always be less than you. I had a lingoscope plate in one hand and a <laughs> pacifier in the other. Right, the first sound that he made when you stepped off the ambulance with the click of the lingoscope. Right, exactly. <laughs> That was freaking great. I like that. Um, but, but practical sense here, you know, just as we've all asked had a patient if they've taken their own temperature because we can't. When you were an EMT and you had a diabetic who had a glucometer, how many times did you check the sugar? Come on. Didn't have a place to document it, but I knew what it was. Uh, not me. <laughs> I was a Frady cat. <laughs> I'm very good with rules. It was their own, it was their own glucometer. Yeah. The problem is, I think, and I think that, and I think that, that part of the... I'm not saying that I did, mind you. I'm saying <laughs> I, I think a lot of this stuff, guys, too, like even with glucometers and stuff, I mean, I know that there's, I've worked in places where if somebody had their own glucometer or their own Pulsox and it wasn't something the company provided, you weren't allowed to use it. Because it's not, you know, they didn't want you using your own Pulsox or your own glucometer, you know, because it's, because I think, like we mentioned before, the whole calibration thing, the whole um, what's approved and not approved, you know, devices, um, you know, for specific agencies, and that could very well be the whole thing with temperature. I mean, what's to stop us from going to the friggin' pharmacy and getting your own, you know, uh, thermometer, you know? 
Um, because you get caught doing that, then, you know, there'll be hell to pay. How dare you take advantage of you out of your mind? Yeah. Well, you, can, uh, you can let the uh, patient take their own temperature. Right, he told us, sir. Take what it in your mouth. Tell me what it says. <laughs> Are you familiar with this device? <laughs> uh, too much. Well, listen, uh, listen guys, I, 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 I'm not trying to say that any of this stuff we're talking about is bad for patients, and I think in the end, most of it's good for the, for the patients themselves. When, it, when it's used correctly, when it's used as they want to be used, not this type of thing to just say, well, we're doing this now so we can extend the budget for the police department because now we have to you know, provide this training and these drugs and this equipment for the police department or whatever the case may be. Um, Again, my only my concern and my 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 thing with it is that I just it's somehow that leaves what what we're doing. And I think that, and more importantly, I think that it ends up really does I think um, give this perception to people that don't know the job and don't know what we do fully. It gives them this perception that anybody could do it. You know, because they they're not aware of all the little nuances that go on. We're aware of it. I'm aware. I'm not threatened by EMT doing King tubes or by the cops giving Narcan because I know, you know, in the end, you know, like you said, Dave, we still have to, you know, we still have to get that transport them anyway, you know, and that's when the real patient care is going to end up, you know, kicking in at that point. No, the real patient care starts after the patient enters the hospital. We all know that. Well. I'm, what I'm saying is, is that I heard that sign is yes. The, the 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 I'm not threatened by any of that. You know what I'm threatened by is is this perception that people that are higher up that don't have a clue and they're looking at stats and numbers and graphs and pie charts and stuff like that and saying, wow, this really works. We don't have to have all these human styles floating around. We don't have to pay these people that much money for this stuff. We can have it, we'll just add it to the cops stuff. We'll just add it to the firefighter stuff. We'll just add it to the EMTs. You know. Jim, do you think the nurses had the same conversation right after the mix-up paper and we started having EMTs? I will, I do, and I, but, and, and I, I think the nurses still have that conversation when they find out we're doing things out there, and I'm even they're like taking temperatures. Oh my God, they can't take temperatures. I, I mean, that they would be upset by that. I think it's almost interesting to see what would happen, and I don't necessarily agree with you, Dave. I think that there would be some that would be upset with that. I think that any extension of our roles and responsibilities is viewed as a threat. I don't, I, I'm not sure why, but you know. <laughs> the doctors case, are upset with this? No, I don't, I don't think doctors so. are upset. Yeah, no. That's where I think, you know, because the doctors, I think, overall are trained to have a certain level of uh, a higher viewpoint. Wait, wait a minute, you, know? you think the doctors are upset with MPs? Threatened by MPs, nurse practitioners? Oh uh, yeah, or or PAs. Nurse practitioners in, in particular, they are grabbing hold of their field. They are talking about not working under a doctor. They're talking about being able to do stuff on their own. I'm not a hundred percent sure because I think that they're the, talking the, about the, it. Well, I I I I could see the counter. The argument Without that. being a extender. Yeah, 
the doctors are, are getting to the point that they're overly specialized, and there's a point where there, it seems to me that they feel burdened with a GP practice. Just saying. You know, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, not as, I'm not, I'm not working on the same level you are, Dave. Obviously, I don't interface with as many doctors. No, but on I think on this part, I think that we have this conversation and we talk about you know this um, worry of, of other people doing our jobs and so you can think. But I think, but I think that I think that that you know we don't have a. And I think, like Dave said, I don't think we have. Um, a voice that's loud enough that can be heard like nurses have, like doctors have, that can say, oh, I don't want these people doing jobs and doing skills that I do. That's what I, that's what we do, that's what we're here for, you know? So, and, but we don't have that. We don't have someone to say, we don't have a voice to, to, to turn around and say, well, this is good for patient care, but our concern is X, Y, Z. Well, I think that as long as we have EMTs and paramedics, we're going to be faced with that. And T-shirts. I, I am T-shirts because I, I, I think yeah, that, sure. you know, I, I listen, there's an aspect where with, uh, there is the argument of why there is uh, EMT, why there's a paramedic. There's definitely a differentiation in skill sets, but the truth of the matter is on a pre-hospital setting, we're fractured enough. And they, you know, it seems every time we turn around, there's another level of nuance given to our profession. That, you know, whether you're a CC, whether you're an intermediate, whether you're an MBO, I mean, it, it's not enough that our roles are fractured, you know, uh, but, you know, I can't go to where you live, Jim, and do what I was trained to do because I'm not certified there. So, you know, I mean, these arguments just, I think, in my eyes, and, you know, Dave, type in if you want, but in my eyes, they just show, they just um, really uh, demonstrate how, how broken we are as a system. You know, uh, just your, your, your need to have us be a paramedic wherever we go, a nurse practitioner, a PA, is only a PA and only can practice what they do in the setting of their physician. A PA stops on the street and uh, they, they could be a PA anesthesiology. And we need to get a tube and we're having a hard time and they tube people all day long. They cannot sink that tube on the street because they're not there, it's not their place of practice. Their place of practice is up in the OR or it's in the in the lab, with, in, in the office with the, uh, where they're going to do the colonoscopy and that's the doctor they're working for. So physician extenders experience this everywhere. An NP can't just go anywhere and do whatever he, she wants. Same thing with a PA, same thing with a paramedic. The fact that we could do it throughout a county is indeed unique compared to physician extenders. And I don't think it's as bad as it sounds to you all right, and, and then the MPs have statewide and national curriculum and can't do what they're doing on their own until they're affiliated with a physician, just like us. So there. Well, it sounds like something we want to 
bring up in another episode, I'm sure, because I, I, I certainly see I, I see that, but can, can a PA, can an NP go to another state um, and with a minimal work start working under another doctor? Another, another doctor. You can right. too. You want, you want to come work in Suffolk? Just take our, uh, take our REMAC exam. You want to work in Erie? Take their REMAC exam. But if I want to work in PA, it's a lot more than that. If I want to work in New Jersey, it's a lot more than that. There's a, there's a modicum of uh, reciprocity uh, virtually everywhere. Uh, it's, I don't think it's the hardest thing in the world. I'm thinking it's less reciprocity, but I don't know. I'm talking in an area I don't know. So I won't oh, we, can always, we, can, we can maybe bring it up in another show and talk about that, that aspect of it as well. That's a good topic. That's a good topic. To sort of, uh, you know, kind of uh, talk about that and the difficulties that some people have. You know, uh, as far as the thing that you brought up before, though, uh, it wouldn't be a show unless I, I said the words, we own it. And I think that, you know, you, you bring up a really great point, um, Dave, that taking the temperature is a critical part of patient assessment. And we need to ask why we're not doing this. There's a lot of questions we need to ask. But maybe low-hanging fruit and all, this might be one that we should be just going to our medical directors and saying, hey, why don't we? If we do it enough times, um, if we do it enough times, uh, maybe we'll get there. Yeah. Listen, guys, I think we had a great conversation. I appreciate both of you showing up tonight. I'm sorry about the connectivity issues. Um, I think we, I think uh, for the most part, everybody sounded pretty clear, so I think we uh, hammered that out in the beginning. So I appreciate you guys showing up. Um, check, check. Yeah. yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, Dave, you, you, you give a great, great, uh, great point of view. I appreciate it. Um, you know, you help us with the conversation and you give some good insight on, on things and, and, and I'm uh, learning stuff too. <laughs> and awesome stuff, so. Which is good. I think it's good, you know. Um, Josh, uh, of course, you're annoying as always, so thanks for, for popping in. I um, like about Josh. Yeah, be sure to go check out Josh's website. Check out Josh's like website at wando.com and get the only oxygen wrench you will ever need. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash EMS office hours. Uh, that's just about it. Um, We'll see you guys next week, I hope. Sounds good, too. Uh, I'm going to be here. All right, great. Great. Sounds sound great. I think maybe next week we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, we'll, uh, talk a little bit about the EMS pay. We'll fight about that for an hour or so. Oh, yeah. Read up on that article in Gems. Yeah. That, that might be a good good, good topic to uh, bring up for mid-month. So. All right, guys. That's it. We've, got, um, we've gone a little bit over an hour, which is cool. But... Um, I think, again, good conversation tonight. So um, we'll see you next week. Yeah. All right. I'll be there. All right. Everyone, any questions, comments, concerns you want to talk about on the show, be sure to send them over to me. My email is jhoff at emssco.com. I'll see you next week, as always. Jim Hoff, friends, stay safe.